Welcome to Israel. It's midnight from Jerusalem. Our weekly virtual worship service and a collaboration between the Congregation of the Word and loveisrael.org. Before we begin tonight, I would like to take a few moments for a personal statement. Today, Rifka and I are celebrating our 34th wedding anniversary, and in light of that, there's a verse that I'd like to read and use this for our call to worship. So I would invite you to take out your Bible and look with us to the book of Proverbs and chapter 18. The book of Proverbs and chapter 18. We're going to read just one verse, one verse, verse 22. I'll read this in Hebrew first. It says, Matzah Isha. Matzah tov. Vayafek ratzon me'ashem. Now, I want to translate this literally because it says, and most English Bibles do not get it right. In fact, I believe it's only the young literal translation that correctly translates the tense of this first verb that's repeated twice. Most English translations put it in the present, he who finds, but it's not finds, it's in the past, he who has found. So let's translate this properly. He who has found a wife, he has found good, goodness. Something that, and we're going to see once more, this proverb displays the characteristics of Hebrew poetry, and there's parallelism. And we need to ask ourselves, what is parallel in this passage? Well, when we look at the first half of verse 22, it concludes with the word tov, and most of you know this word tov means good. He who has found a woman, he has found that which is good. And then it says, and he has produced. It is a statement about the outcome, the result of finding a wife, a godly wife, one who displays the goodness of the Lord, one who is sensitive to something specific. Because we find what is parallel to the word good and this shouldn't surprise us, I say this many times, that the word good speaks about the will of God, and that's why it says, and he has produced ratzon. Ratzon is the will, the desire from the Lord. So it emphasizes here, and this is a commandment to a man, that it's not good for him to be alone. There are a few exceptions. But in a general sense, God's will is for a man to be married. If he's in a unique call to serve the Lord, as Paul mentions in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, that's a different story. But by and large, what we find that God's order is for a man not to be alone. It's not good. It's not God's will. But for him to find a wife. And together they serve in regard to the pleasure, the desire, the will of God. 
Well, now let's turn to another passage of Scripture, the book of Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy chapter 6 for the Shema. And this is indeed a statement of our faith, and we'll use it as well as we do each week as a way of, of drawing near to God in faithfulness. Shema Yisrael, Adonai Eloheinu, Adonai Echad. Baruch Shem Kavod Machuto Leolam Vaed. Viahavta et Adonai Elohecha, Bekole Vavcha Uvakonapshecha Uvako Meodecha. Vehayu Hadvarim Hai Ele, Asher Anoki Mitzvacha Hayom Al, Leva Vecha. Veshina Netam Levanecha, Vedebartem Bam, Beshiftecha, Bevetacha, Uvlektacha, Vederk, Ushakbecha, Ukomecha. Ukshartam le ot al yadecha, vehayu le totafot ben anecha, uftavtam al mezuzot betecha, uvisharecha. And now let us move into a time of prayer. O Lord our God, God of our fathers, God of Avraham, Yitzchak, and Yarfkov, God, we exalt your holy name, we praise you, for you are good and there is no other. Lord, we come humbly before you tonight asking that we would be people who approach you in the spirit and in truth, worshiping you in order that you might be glorified, that you might be pleased with everything that, that we do, every thought, every word, every action. And Lord, we thank you that you are God who works mightily in our life to bring changes, righteous changes, godly changes. And Lord, we want to embrace your will. We want to do your purposes. We want to fulfill your, your expectations for our life, your commandments. So Father, we come before you in a spirit of humility, a spirit of submissiveness, wanting to be used by you. We pray for insight and wisdom, we pray for the illumination and the power of the Holy Spirit to, to lead us, guide us, equip us for, for your purposes. Lord, we pray for those tonight who are, are struggling, who are hurting, who are struggling with despair, who are hurting because of some injury or sickness, disease, whatever it might be. Lord, we lift them up to you. We pray for healing. We pray for restoration in the fullest and complete sense of that word. We pray for, for insight, that we might have discernment, that we might look at our situations, that we might look at the changes in this world, and that we might make godly decisions, that we might be individuals that, that are sources of, of help, sources of illumination to others, that they might know the times that we're living in and the changes that are, are forthcoming. So, Father, we pray for a spirit of preparation to be placed upon us, that we are sensitive to your perspective, that we see things clearly, and that we can respond as you would have us to respond. Lord, we do thank you for marriages, for the family, for parents, for children, for brothers and sisters, for friends who are, are strong in the faith with us, that encourage us, that we encourage, that help us, that we help them. 
that truly that we demonstrate that we are your people, that we are not selfish, that we are not, not thinking about what we want, but that we are listening to you, what you want, that we are our instruments of blessing. So Father God, we pray that we would be indeed the people who are your servants. We thank you for the forgiveness of sins. And Lord, we confess to you those things this past week that we have said, that we have thought, that we have done, that's not your will. Lord, forgive us. And we, we, we believe in that forgiveness through the shedding of the blood of Messiah and the redemption, the eternal redemption that we have through him. So, Father, our God, we, we thank you for your mercy. We thank you for the fact that you will never leave us nor forsake us, that, that you hold on to us and that you shape us. We thank you for the edification of your workmanship in our life. All these things we pray in the blessed name of Messiah Yeshua. Amen. God, if he's working in your life, and he wants to be, he is going to bring about change. And we see a change in a young woman's life beginning last week. And of course, I'm speaking about the woman Hadassah, also known by, by another name, Esther. And we see that she as well, due to the, the action of the queen, her defiance against the king and not presenting herself, what most scholars believe, in an inappropriate way before four men, we see that Esther, she was taken with many other young women to the capital, to the king's palace and place under the supervision of a particular eunuch whom she found favor with. And this speaks about her being used by the, the power of God, by the purposes of God, for something beyond herself. And this is where I want to begin tonight by, by each of us making an affirmation that we want to be used by God for something beyond ourselves, that we want to have greater influence in the life of others and in situations that move past ourselves, our households, just what is about something that's close to us, but that we want to be used in the life of others and perhaps many other people. And what we see today and what we have seen in the past is that Esther, she has a spirit of submissiveness. She is someone who can take instructions and implement them in her life. And that's something that we need to ask ourselves. When we encounter revelation from the scripture, are we able to take that and do it, implement it in our behavior? Because it's only when we are not just hearers of the words, but doers of the word, are we going to begin to experience that change that God wants us to have? And not just our change, but we're going to be, and hear this, we're going to be a catalyst for change 
in our situations and the situations of other as God increases our sphere of influence in, in this world. And that's something that God wants to do with you and with me, with all of his servants, to use us in a greater and greater way. With that said, take out your Bible and look with me to the book of Esther and chapter 2. We're going to begin in verse 12. Now, I had mentioned to you that, that Esther, we read this last week, she was assembled with all the other young women, and she was brought to the king's palace and put in Bet Nashim, which is the house of the women. And what stood out last week, and this is going to be something that is consistent in her life, that she's going to find favor, that she's going to find grace in the eyes of others. There is something about her that, that stands out, that's unique. And what it is, is her desire to submit and submissiveness to the purposes of God manifest God's glory. And whether one knows that this is God's glory that, that he is perceiving, seeing, it's going to have an effect. It's going to bring about that favor. There's going to be something that, that draws that person that's witnessing that to the one who is submissive, the one who is obedient, the one who is being used by God. And this is seen repeatedly in the life of Queen Esther. Now, before we read verse 12, there's something that we need to deal with. And that is a, a biblical principle of dealing with the scriptures. And that is this. You see, I get a lot of questions that simply can't be answered biblically because the word of God does not deal with it. And the principle is this. If God's word does not speak to it, then we should not either. If God's word doesn't bring up this question, this issue, then we should not either. Now, the question that so many people want to deal with is, how could it be this young Jewish woman be brought into a situation, into a very ungodly environment of what we're going to be talking about and what's being done? The Bible does not speak to that. Therefore, we ought not speak to it. Anything that I could offer anyone else is conjecture. And Bible teachers are not supposed to give conjecture. They deal with the text as it's presented to us. So don't ask questions that the Bible does not deal with. It is not going to be efficient spiritually. It's not going to produce anything that God has for you that he wants to do in your life. So let's begin. As I said, we see that Esther was taken. She is in the Bet Nashim, the house of, of the women. She is given a good spot, a preferred location. And all of this is to tell us how God is moving. Also, she, no one else, has been given these seven young female attendants to help her. 
And now let's begin in verse 12 of chapter 2, where we see this, this format, this process that is being used. We read in verse 12, And when the turn arrived for each young woman to come to the king, King Ahasuerus, at the end of, of what was to her, according to the law of the women. Now, we're going to be speaking about a process, a process that, that this culture had for this situation in regard to this, these young women. It says here, and we need to read this carefully, it says that there was going to be 12 months, a 12-month process. Now, here, this is a clue. And the clue is that 12 has to do with Israel. And therefore, we should discern from this that this process that's going on, even though that God is not the author of it, he's not the cause to it, he can still use whatever. Now, he never motivates, never moves anyone to do anything that is against his will. But those who do something against his will, God can take that, flip it, and turn it into something good. He can utilize all things for his glory. For example, the punishment of sin. God uses sin. He's not the author of it, God forbid. He's not the, the instrument, the motivation, the incentive, God forbid. But when someone sins, God is able to take all things and deal with it properly that in the end manifests his glory. So God's judgment of sin is an instrument that manifests his sovereignty, his righteousness, his truth, his glory. Once again, when the turn came for each of the young women to come to the king, King Ahasuerus, at the end of what was to her for the law of women, these 12 months, for thus they would fulfill the days. And this is the days of her ointment, her this process. And it says there were six months of oil, oil of, of myrrh, and six months of spices and also these, these ointments. So there was a, a process of oil and spices, six months of each. These ointments that would be placed upon her skin for a total of 12 months. But notice we also have the number six. And six is the number of grace. And therefore, what we find here is that God is using this process. He is going to use this process graciously for Israel. Now, if you know anything about the book of Esther, you know that God is at work in this whole situation. And he is going to use this process of selecting a, a queen for, for King Ahasuerus for the purpose of Israel. Now, we talked about, this will be the third time, 
God's at work concerning this problem, but we don't know what that problem is. It hasn't been mentioned yet. We're not going to see it until chapter 3. So God is at work early on. And when we are submissive to God, when we are obedient to Him, when we're being led by His Spirit, when we're walking in truth, God will be at work in our life, dealing with those things that you and I, we don't have any knowledge of, we can't see, we can't perceive, we, these things don't even enter into our mind, but God knows. And that's why it's so important to be a recipient of God's grace and to see grace at work in your life. So we see that there was these six months of, of oil, of, of myrrh, and also this, this ointment that, that is placed upon, upon the women. Verse 13. With this, meaning in this manner, each of the young women... They, she would come, each young woman would come to the king. And all what she said. Now, this is simply word for speaking, but it's in context of a, a request. Whatever she would request, it would be given to her to come with her from the house of the women unto the house of the king into his chamber, verse 14. In the evening, she comes, and in the morning, she returns to the house of the women. But notice, there's a change. Bet nashim sheni. So after this one-time encounter with the king, she does not go back to the same location. She goes to the second house of the women. And there she's going to be there. So there's a separation between the Betulot, the virgins who were brought, who were in this 12-month process before they went before the king, and what we know took place after that. Once they were with him for that evening, they went to a second location. Bet Hanashim Sheni. And they were also under the supervision of a different eunuch, a different leader. They were under, each one would be under the authority of one Shashagaz, excuse me, Shashagaz, the eunuch of the king, the keeper, and we have the word Ha-Pilakshim. The, and normally this word is translated concubines. And she would not come, last part of verse 14, she would not come anymore to the king except if he desired her, that is, if the king desired her, and here's the key, the supposition. They had rules, they had a protocol. Not just that she des he desired her, but that she was called by name, meaning that he had to remember. She had to make an impression upon him that he knew her name. So this was the law that was set up in this culture 
for this purpose and at this time. Now we're ready for verse 15. And when the turn of Esther arrived, the daughter of Avichael. Now, Avichael means my father is valiant. It's a word of speaking about someone in a most positive way. And, and Esther, her father's name, speaks of this valiant father. And most scholars believe what we're speaking about here is Father God. That Avi Chayil, this is a man's name, and it speaks about how wonderful, valiant God is. How God is always faithful, always right, always doing that which is correct. And so this is placed in at this time for a reason. And that is to tell the reader, God is in control. He is using these things. Is he the cause of them? No. But he's using them because he knows what the future holds. You don't know. I don't know. And therefore, if we want to be prepared for the future, we need to be submissive to the leadership of the Holy Spirit in our life. So she came, this, this Esther, the daughter of Avichael, who is the niece of her uncle Mordecai, which took to himself her for a daughter. It was her time to come before the king. But notice something. Here, this is all to show to us her submissiveness. That she was not presumptuous. She did not try to architect things, plan them out, deal with everything. But she simply trusted God. And that's being, being emphasized here where it says that she... Look at this very carefully, last part of verse 15. Lo viksha devar, which means she did not seek or request anything except what? Hegai, the eunuch of the king, the keeper of the women, what he said. And Esther, notice this submissive quality. She didn't say, I want this, you do this. At that time, whatever she said was given to her. But she requested nothing, but she was submissive to this man, what he said to her. And we find that, that she did just that. And notice what it says. Vatehi ester no set chen ko roeha which means an Esther. She was one who lifted up, captured grace in the eyes of all who saw her. And I would highlight this, underscore it, because we're seeing something shared. And that is that submissiveness is something that brings about grace 
the working of favor. And this is a different word. Earlier on, last week, I talked about the word chesed. But this is the word chen. And it's used twice here, speaking about the fact that she found favor in, in, in all those who saw her. They saw something distinct, something different, something peculiar. And what was that? Her trust, her obedience, submissiveness, humility to the instructions, to the order of God. She understood she was a woman, and she demonstrated what a woman is called to do. And because of that, God worked mightily in her situation. Verse 16. And Esther, she was taken to the king Ahasuerus, to the house of his kingdom. And she was taken there, and notice this next word, Bechodesh Ha-Asiri. Now, this simply means in the 10th month. Now, there's two explanations here, two interpretations of the fact that the Word of God tells us it's in the 10th month. One has to do with the significance of the number 10, meaning completion, entirety. We find that this was completely, rightly, entirely the right time. That, that everything was, was complete. She was ready for this moment ready spiritually. Secondly, the 10th month is the month of Tevet, and it's the coldest month in this part of the country. And therefore, being with someone, in bed with them, at the cold time is, is much better than in the heat of the summer. So it was very providential. This is what the scripture is saying. She found a good time. Why? Her submissiveness. And then it tells us, It is the month of Tevet. And notice that this all took place in the seventh year of his rule, of his kingdom. And seven is a number of purpose. This is to tell the reader, nothing is happening by chance. All of this is happening for the purpose of God. God has his hand in every aspect of what's going on here. So this tells us that all of these numbers in the book of Esther has significance. We'll see that especially next week when we're into chapter 3. So it happens in the seventh year of his kingdom. And this is all having to do with purpose. It all has a, a degree of sanctification, which means there's a process to bring about a godly conclusion. That's what sanctification in one explanation is all about. Verse 17. Now, something stands out because the king loved Esther more than all the women. Why? She found grace and chesed. Chen chesed. She found favor and grace before him more 
than all the other versions. Why? Well, there's only one explanation. God is at work. King Ahasuerus saw something different about her. Something that was unique. And this uniqueness, her submissiveness to the things of God, her trust in recognizing authority, her not trying to manipulate things according to her own thoughts, but being submissive to the one that was over her, only doing what he told her to do. All of this position and created a, an aurora that manifested God's presence in her life. And even though Ahasuerus didn't know why, we find, and both words are said, she found favor and grace. Such a significant statement. She found grace and favor before him more than all the other versions. Now, the word here that I translated found, more accurate, it's a word to lift up. And here it's a word of capturing. She lifted up. She captured in a very, very unique way that he never had experienced this favor and grace that he wanted to extend to her. And then it says, He put the crown of the kingdom on her head. And she ruled in place of Vashti. So now, immediately, once he met her, and I'm speaking about King Ahasuerus, once he met her, there was no need for anyone else. He responded that she was the replacement, that she was going to be the queen, that she was the one that now was going to have a role in his kingdom. Look now to, to verse 18. We see a third time that there's a feast or party or banquet made. We read in verse 18, and the king made a, a banquet, a great banquet, for all of his cabinet officials, all of his servants. A, a banquet of Esther, meaning in her honor. And notice it says, Va Hanacha la Midinot. Now, what does that mean? Well, there's a debate. Now, most of the English Bibles, they will say that he proclaimed a holiday. The word here, Hanacha, comes from the word which means rest. So it could be a rest, a day of rest, or a holiday. But it's interesting that, that others among the rabbinical commentators, they put out the word hanacha has a meaning of a reduction, a lessening. And what this word more likely has to do with is that the king reduced for a period in honor of his queen, he wanted everyone to rejoice with the fact 
that he had found Esther, that she was his new queen. And therefore, he gave a reduction of taxes in all of his, his provenances is what's being taught here. He did, and he gave gifts through the hand of the king. So he also provided presents for individuals. Verse 19. Now, most people read verse 19, and they never really point out how odd what's being said is. And when something's odd in the scripture, doesn't make sense. Well, do this. Take a moment right now, and hopefully you're following along. Not just hearing, but looking at the word of God, speaking the word of God when, when I also read it. And what stands out is that there is going to be another banquet, a different banquet, not one in honor of, of Queen Esther like we just talked about. But now there is a problem. And if you're not a careful student of the scripture, if you read too fast, good Bible students read slowly. They read carefully. They ask themselves questions concerning the text, not conjecture, but questions concerning the text. And why do I say this? Well, look at verse 19. It says, And at the, the gathering, when was gathered up, the virgins should eat a second time. Now, wait. Why in the world is this being said here? This should stand out in a mighty way to the reader. We've just said that Esther, she's found favor and grace to the extent immediately he took that crown and placed it upon her. And he said, I want to bless all the people. We're going to have another banquet, the banquet of Esther. Everyone's going to get a reduction in taxes or a holiday. Everyone's going to receive gifts. I'm going to have all my officials in the cabinet, all my servants there, and we're going to celebrate, rejoice, because Esther is queen. We understand that. That's simple. What doesn't make sense until we read properly. What doesn't make sense is the fact that it says, and when they gathered up the virgins a second time. Why a second time? This is wrong. This is incorrect. Notice what it says. And Mordecai sits. Now, again, we have to always pay attention normally we have the word Yashev or Yeshev. Here we have the word Yoshev. Now what's the difference? Well, Yashev here is a word for, for he said, Yashav. Then we have the word Yeshev, which is word he will say. Then we have the word which is unusual because it's in, Christians would say it's in a, present participle. The rabbis would just simply say it's in the present tense. 
it is not important that we debate about how to, to define the, the grammatical construction. What's important is yeshav, yeshev, yoshev. That we understand that, that whenever yoshev is mentioned in this particular construction, it gives an emphasis. It stands out. This construction says to the reader, this has significance. And therefore, what is significant? That Mordecai, he sits at the gate of the king. Meaning he has as a leader, a very significant leader in this empire. He has access. And he's always there. What were we told? He's at the gate of the king in the courtyard. Why? We learned this last week. In order to check on the shalom, the well-being of Esther. Something's going on. Something should stand out. Why are they gathering up versions again? Esther has just been named queen. Are they, they now replacing her as well? You may say that finds, finds it hard to believe. But notice what it says here. Verse 20. Esther did not say her, her heritage or her people. Just as he commanded, Mordecai commanded unto her. According to the word, the commandment, of Mordecai, Esther did, just as was when he was her, her tutor. So now we have something. We have the explanation of why there's this significant, the second time after Esther is queen, why they're gathering up virgins again. What's the answer? We read it. She did something similar to Vashti. She would not reveal her heritage, her people. She didn't want to say, I am Jewish. I'm from the children of Israel. I'm from the exiles that were taken out of Israel, Judah, and brought by King Nebuchadnezzar. He, Mordecai, instructed her, literally it says, commanded her not to reveal this. And the implication is the king wanted to know and she would not tell him. Another act of defiance. Different from Vashti, but nevertheless, she did not say. And therefore, this going around again of gathering versions were a type of a threat. An incentive, you can be out as well. What happened to Vashti may just happen to you. And therefore, this is why they gathered up these virgins a second time. Look now to verse 21. And in those days, Mordecai, he sets at the gate of the temple. Well, we've just been told that. It's to emphasize when things are repeated. It's to emphasize us. 
emphasized to us. So Mordecai in those days were sitting at the gate of the, the king. And we read, he was there. And what happened? A great anger. And that's his word for almost a wrath, an out-of-control anger, was to two individuals, to Bigtan and Teresh, two also eunuchs. And this word eunuch can mean officials of the king, keepers of the door. And what did these two men do? They sought to stretch forth their hand against the king, Ahasuerus. What does that mean? There was a plot to assassinate King Ahasuerus. So we find that repeatedly, Mordecai, he sits at the gate of the king, of the palace, and he's there always for the purpose of knowing what's happening. Primarily to Esther, but this time he heard, it became known to him, as we'll see, concerning this assassination plot. Verse, verse 22. And the thing was made known to Mordecai. And he, he told Esther, the queen, and Esther, she said to the king, and many scholars mean to the king's authority, his administration. She told the king, in the name of Mordecai, what had happened. And we see that this thing, look at verse 23, our last verse. This thing was, was sought out, meaning it was found to be accurate. And therefore, when this thing was sought after and found to be accurate, these two were hung upon the tree, meaning a gallow. And what took place, the fact that it was Mordecai. Now Esther, and the context, and we'll see this later on in a later chapter, Yes, it was written down in the book of Chronicles of the King in their historical archives, their annuals. And what we find is, it was simply noted that it was Mordecai, because she says in the name of Mordecai that he revealed this plot. It was investigated, it was found to be true, and these two men, Bigtan and Teresh, they were hung for this plot of killing the king. All of this was written down in the name of Mordecai. Now, what's happening here is this. Everything that's taking place, God is going to use it in the future. Don't miss that principle. Everything that's going on, God is going to use this in the future. Now, I don't want to get too far ahead of myself, but you're going to see in the next few weeks, there's going to be an event, more precisely, a timing. And that time is going to bring about a change. And everything that was, was 
deemed bad for the Jewish people is going to be turned to good. And all these things that, that seemingly are unimportant, of no significance, that we don't see anything, why we should remember them at this time, all of these things are going to be used by God. It confirms God at work well before anyone knows that he's working in the situation. They don't even know there's a situation. So look at verse 23. The thing was sought and found, and the implication is found to be accurate. And they hung the two of them upon the tree, the gallows. And it was written in the book of the words of the days, the annuals, the, the archives before the king. All of this is going to have such significance in the future. You don't know how your act of faithfulness, your acts of submissiveness, what you do following the leadership of the Holy Spirit, you don't know what seemingly insignificant thing you did today, how God, God is awesome. He is all-powerful. He is all-knowing. How he's going to take this thing that he led you to do and how he's going to use it in a mighty way, not just for you, not just for your family, but perhaps for many other people. The more you approach God, submissively, obediently, humbly, with a desire to honor his word and bring glory to him and be used for righteous purposes. The more you have that type of thought, that type of purpose in your heart, the greater that God will use you. Well, I'll close with that. Until next week and we enter into chapter 3, May God bless you. Shalom from Israel.